good thing uh, you showed up ready, Cam. <laughs> well, usually you don't roll in until 10 after, so. <laughs> I seriously actually almost rear-ended a guy. I was Last driving. night? Was Did actually, you hear it when I was talking? I went, beep, 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 beep. I, I heard something. <laughs> I wasn't sure what it was. I was like, oh, man. Let's go. This is the Canucks Pod with Safiar Shah and Alex All. Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod. Satyar Shah with Alex Ald and Aldi. There's always lots to talk about when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. The trade deadline is gone. Injuries have hit. And all of a sudden, there is a lot of consternation about whether this team can actually make the playoffs with 17 games left. There's always lots to talk about. Yes. Unless you aren't talking. Yes, this but is true. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's um, injuries... Something that the Canucks have been, I think, been fortunate with the first yeah. three, three quarters of the season. Well, and they had then, a lot of injuries, but they were to supporting cast players yes, generally. That's a good way of putting it. Now there's some some key players. Obviously, Jacob Markstrom, that's something that's been uh, a huge mm-hmm. topic of conversation in the last week or so. But uh, other guys, it's, it's climbing. I mean, Brock Besser, that's a big one. Yeah. It, it's very difficult, and we, we've talked about this a lot in the last couple of seasons. Injuries to any of your key D-men that's really hard to overcome. The Canucks do have a little more depth on the back end this year than they have in years past, but at the same time, they also have a really special player yes. and in Quinn Hughes, and that's that's something that if it's prolonged, it's, I don't know, it's a little bit, a little bit scary. Uh, so right now, we are recording this on Tuesday, March 3rd. Canucks play tomorrow, March 4th, against the Arizona Coyotes, and today for the morning skate, Quinn Hughes did skate after practice, took a twirl, but head coach Travis Green said that both Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers were day-to-day, so we'll see if they play against the Coyotes. From what I know uh, about the Quinn Hughes uh, injury, it's not lower body. Uh, I think it's something to do upper body more than anything. I can't confirm this, but I do think it's related back to that hit he took in Columbus, and he didn't play a lot in the final 10 minutes of that game as well. And it seems like it's relatively minor, and he could very well play. So let's assume he plays. But at the same time, I do think before we get to Myers as well, we can talk about how important Quinn Hughes has been to this team because he has completely changed the outlook defensively. Because overall, the Canucks are an average defensive team. But if you look at what Quinn Hughes has done, he's played at that elite level. Yeah. He, look, I look at this team. There's really three key guys. Maybe you put it to four. Markstrom yeah. as the goalie and the way he's playing and the way this team's structured and, and how he's really saved their bacon over and over again this year. Quinn Hughes on the back end. And up front, I would... I would say Patterson and JT Miller. Yeah. Like those two guys, they they really drive the bus and th- their chemistry together. So you remove any one of those guys out of the equation, that's tough stuff. So they've got Markstrom out. If you remove an, a second one, wow, that's really difficult to overcome. Quinn Hughes, you could argue, you could put the argument that he's the most important of those yeah. four. I think you could have the argument for any one of them. Uh, we're kind of seeing what life without Markstrom is like right now, and it's not pretty. Quinn Hughes is very special, and we've we've gone on and on about him a lot this year. But again, he just continues to impress his his skating, his vision, his skill set, his elusiveness, his creativity. It just goes on and on, and he is absolutely that elite level defenseman that this organization's been craving for well fifty years. Yeah, and he's bringing it at a level that we've never seen before here in this market. And he's a rookie, and that big picture, that's exciting. But in the short term, like you said, I mean, it remains to be seen whether he's going to miss any time due to this. But even if he comes back or, or doesn't miss games, is 
you know, what's, what's his percentage? What's he at? Is he 70%, 90? uh, Who knows? Probably a hard thing to quantify, but regardless, him less than 100% is difficult for the team to overcome because he's been so important. Well, absolutely. And one of the things about Quinn Hughes that's kind of been making the rounds is how confident he is. He was asked uh, by the Hockey News about his last 30 games, and he said, hey, you know, I think it's been great. Uh, I think over these past 30 games, I've been the best rookie. He's not surprised by his success in the NHL, but he did mention he is also humbled by how successful he's been as a rookie, but he's always believed in himself. To me... That's just confidence and swagger. And he's not out there calling anybody out, being abrasive about it. And I do think in today's hockey culture, we're going to see a lot more players like this that are outspoken. And I know, Aldi, you and I talked a lot about this the past couple of years, especially covering the draft as well, being in Dallas in, in 2018, seeing a lot of these young guys, American players, and how confident they are and how much they believe in themselves. And you see it with Pedersen, you see it with other young players across the league as well. And I do think it's uncomfortable for a lot of fans, especially fans that have been around for a long time, that haven't heard and seen players be this way. But that's also because it's a departure from traditional hockey culture. And they're not being abrasive, but being honest and saying what's on your mind and believing in, your, in yourself is a positive trait, not a negative one. Well, it is. And, and, and it goes, to me, it speaks to the way players are, are raised, developed, groomed, conditioned, to be able to manage these moments at such a young age. And so, I mean, we all know the story of the, the Hughes family, I mean, father in, in hockey and the fact that he has access to training and access to obviously his his personal skill set as a yeah. coach and a player development expert as well. But also just, we, we spent some time with, uh, with the Hughes father and he talked about the way, just raising good people, right? And that's something that's so, so important. And the the point is, is that these guys at a young age, they're like, it's not just a pipe dream. It's something that's attainable, playing in the NHL, being an impact player, the U.S. Uh, national team development program, the way they groom young players. And, and Quinn's from a very special group of that, of that uh, program, pretty special couple of birth years there. And they just, there's a swagger about them. That's the best way to put it. They, they expect big things from themselves. But Quinn Hughes especially, not in an arrogant, cocky, abrasive way, like you said, mm-hmm. not something that rubs you the wrong way. It's just this supreme air of confidence. And again, I say it time and time again, we're asking almost the impossible from these young players, any player in the National Hockey League. It's so difficult to do what these guys do. And if you're going to do it at a level where you make it look easy, confidence has to be a big part of it because you you need to believe that you can pull off some of the stuff that he does on a nightly basis. Well, there's legitimate confidence and then there is irrational confidence. Irrational confidence is from somebody who is simply not good enough or somebody who simply does not work well enough and thinks too highly of their abilities. Those types of players, they get exposed really, really quickly. Legitimate confidence, it goes back to something we talked about a few weeks back, Aldi, when Kobe Bryant passed away, the Mamba mentality, which is, hey, you have the supreme a God-given talent, but to become the great player that you are, you put in that work. You you work diligently. You work harder than anybody else. You're completely focused and driven to be the absolute best player you can be. And we know how hard Quinn Hughes works. So you have the natural ability, you have the preparation, and that confidence meets together. And then there's that swagger that comes out of that. And to me, for a guy like Quinn Hughes, I think part of it is the defiance of also being a diminutive player as well, and having that honest defiance and also humble defiance to some degree that, sure, you know, he believes in himself and he's going to go out there and and, and say he believes in himself and he thinks he can do things. He's not going to take no for an answer, but it's not abrasive in a certain way. And 
that type of mentality I think is important. And you see it when he makes a really bad mistake in a game. He doesn't sulk over it. It doesn't doesn't make him shrivel into a little shell. He doesn't become afraid as a player. He kind of shrugs it off. He's like, oh, well, it happened. I'll be fine next time. But to me, that's the type of defiance you need to have that even when you make a mistake and when you play poorly, you're so confident in your ability because of your work rate and how you think the, th- the game that it's not going to throw you off. Well, the, the best players all have that ability to just let the let the mistakes roll off their shoulder. And, and a big part of it is because they've proven to themselves and their teammates that that's that's not normal, right? They don't make a lot of mistakes. So that makes it a lot easier. But also they realize, they understand that their skill level and what they contribute outweighs the few negatives or the few mistakes on most nights so that it's not something to worry about. You're going to continue to get put out there. And that's why it is important that, that coaches view these young players this way too, that if, if the player continues to earn it and on the whole, if you look at the balance sheet, if they're doing a lot more positive things than negative things, you got to keep putting them out there because they're going to learn. But you're right about the work rate. That is something that's so important. The, these young players, again, it's it's social media effect a little bit. It's a lot of things. But the fact that these guys are being taught things at such a young age that is legitimately like, this is what is separating players in the National Hockey League now. So let's do that. Let's work on those things. Let's train that way. And you watch uh, social media, Instagram, it's YouTube. It's full of videos of guys doing mm-hmm. things that 10, 15 years ago, people would have been like, why are you doing that? Like, that's cocky. That's showing off. That's not do it in a game was the classic, classic NHL veteran chirp to a right. young guy. And now the young guys are like, yeah, I did it in a game, son. Back <laughs> off. Like, it's, it's right. hey, old man. Like, it's, you know, and, and but now that's that's the game, right? And that's part of the fun. And that's what makes it even more entertaining and more engaging. And Quinn Hughes is is no uh, no exception there. Again, I, I can't stress enough how special this guy is in terms of his edge work, the way he skates, the way he moves, the way his the way his ankles bend. It's it's like this combination of guys we've never really seen before in a way like Datsuk a little bit. Datsuk was really special on his edges um, in the way that he's, his legs moved. It was very unique. But Quinn Hughes does things that we don't see much of. And who knows, maybe in a couple of years, it'll be more normal, more commonplace, more because p- young kids are going to start emulating him and the way he skates and trying to learn that from a young age. But it's uh, it's really taken the league by storm this year. It really seems his skating is obviously a lot of hard work, but there, I mean, I'd love to see the sports science of it, his biomechanics, right, and how his body is built. Is he, you know, better built naturally to be that type of skater than you add the work he puts in and, and how he's developed over time? Because it seems like his ankles are a bit more pliable than the average ankle is. Or is that just from a lot of repetition and skating? Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, like, I'd love to see that, right. that too. Is there any data on that? Is there mm-hmm. something that shows us that, you know, I don't know, does he have more degrees of flexion or whatever? Whatever it is, yeah. But it's it's going to be a combination of anything. Mo- most good athletes, there's obviously, there's the natural ability, but there's also the the desire and the commitment to do just the little things over and over and over again and doing it right and understanding. And just some people have better body awareness. So they understand, you know, they can almost immediately feel if they're trying something new, if it works or not, and how to hold on to that, how to sort of keep that as now part of their repetition and part of their normal skating pattern in this instance or whatever skill you're trying to develop. Some people picked up on that. Some people don't. And I think that to me... The work ethic combined with that natural ability, I don't know that it's natural ability to skate, but it's natural athletic ability to just learn a skill. And mm-hmm. okay, my body's in this position and sense your body in time and space. That is something that a lot of, you know, a lot more sports programs are starting to look at that at a younger age. 
especially in Europe, Sweden, Finland, they really focus on those types of things. In North America, we're guilty of over-specialization too young, which you mm-hmm. would think in a lot of ways would say, oh, well, if start them skating really young and that's all they do, but then you don't develop properly as a human. You don't develop naturally and, and you're going to over you know, have over strength because of, of whatever. You're just going to end up with this massive hockey butt and quads <laughs> and then you're going to never be able to buy clothes and no wait that's me the stuff but, that you go yeah, through right now yeah it's yeah. so sad <laughs> but but i do, custom just custom just custom stuff but i do believe you're right about you know the specialization we talked about it in the past because i think you know even something like playing baseball gives you a different idea of depth perception yes. closing yeah. gaps for instance and that is translatable baseball, man, like, certain things sorry to cut you off but it just took me back a couple years ago to working at some goalie schools in the summer and you know big thing with goalies is with their hands that you don't want your hands sort of beside you or right. behind you, obviously, right? Like you want your hands out in front, cuts down the angle more, but also it's in your, in your vision. Yeah. And so, you know, you talk to young goalie, 10, 11 years old, you're like, you know, like think of a, a first baseman in baseball, like they've got their hand out in front of them. A large part of that is obviously to, it's the time cuts down the time that you're going to catch it. So if a guy's trying to beat out the, the throw to first base, but you, part of it is that it's your vision. It's mm-hmm. out in front of you and you got to get comfortable catching pucks in front of you. And uh, so I, I asked him, like, you know, like when you're outside playing catch, well, I don't have a, I don't have a baseball glove. I don't play catch. I'm like, man, you should do that. It, it games, might help. Games changed, you know. Games like, are, and that's, I mean, but yeah. the, that's the thing is, like, kids are at a young age saying, "This yeah. is what I love," and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you can have your passion, but try some other things. Well, you see, the really good athletes are able to do a number of different things. I mean, Absolutely, we saw the Sedins, yeah. for instance, great hot soccer players. I mean, Henrik Sedin could have played for the. Um, junior soccer team for Team Sweden for for the men. I mean, that's how talented he was as a soccer the junior, player. The junior men? The junior men. Yeah, junior, junior men. Junior I guess yeah. juniors. Just call it juniors. No, they, they both were national team. Like, yeah, yeah. no, and, and yeah, they, it's, you're right though. Like, good athletes are good athletes, yeah. right? And and sure, some guys will apply themselves more. So like the the Sedins, they, they actually played soccer and, right. and that was, at some point you have to make a choice. But like, a lot of a lot of athletes believe, and part of it is that confidence we were talking about earlier with Quinn Hughes, that they could have still been a pro in another sport mm-hmm. if if that's the sport they picked, and probably to a degree, like a large percentage of them are right because it's a lot of it is those, it's the mindset and it's the the desire and the work ethic and and the understanding of what you have to do over and over and over again. So hey, you give me the right coach, you give me some passion about this sport. I bet you I can get it done. And that's why all, I always believed I could probably... I, I actually think I would have been a better forward than a goalie. Really? Yeah. You, you think you'd be aggressive? You'd be on the forecheck all the time? Sniping. Sniping, Sniping goals, really? yeah. I'd be like Leon. <laughs> you'd be Leon Dreisaitl? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Leon from Thunder Bay. Yep. Well, I mean, technically, you are more Albertan than he is. Yeah. It's true. No, I just, <laughs> no, I, who knows? Who knows, right? <laughs> who knows what could have happened? Probably not. <laughs> Probably, but, but maybe, know. who knows? Hey, we can live in that reality. The other player that, that's day-to-day and somebody who's taken a lot of criticism in this season is Tyler Myers. I would have been better than him. For sure, no. 100%. I mean, you're <laughs> almost as tall as Tyler Myers. Actually, he's no. like four inches tall. No, he's massive. Are. And I'm kidding. I, yeah. I don't think I could, uh, I don't think I would have won the Calder as a D. That's tough to do. It's not bad, is it? It's yeah. not bad. When it comes to Tyler Myers, it's interesting, right? Because yeah, the contract can be problematic. You look at where he playing on the team too and overall and all this sort of stuff right but i do think tyler myers is a better player than gets credit for and i've been saying this all season long we can talk big picture about the contract the signing and all that sort of stuff how it fits and whether you like somebody else that's all valid but when you try to evaluate evaluate him as a player and how you can't not say hate him no you can't not say hate him 
hate him? Evaluate hate him. Evaluate you, you don't him. like him. Why evaluate why, him. What do you got against Tyler Myers? I can't speak. I have, Even I when you're him. trying to pump him up. You're, uh, I'm hating. There's yeah. a lot of haterade in this conversation right now. Mm. I'm not evaluating. I'm evaluating. Okay. Is that better? That's much now better. Now my enunciation yeah. is, is actually working for once. I need Aldi to set me straight. But Continue. It's, but it's <laughs> the evaluation of Tyler Myers, I do think people make him out to be like the next Eric Goodbranson at times. And he's so much better than that. And if you start breaking things down, and here's what gets me, right? I'm fine with people having opinions one way or another. What I don't like is disingenuousness and also unfair characterizations of a player. So if you like to cite the analytics, which is fair, you should be, right? It's important. I think it has a lot of value, obviously. I'm an analytics guy. But if you want to cite analytics and talk about how, you know, this guy's good and that guy's bad and these things are important, then I find it really amusing that people consider Tyler Myers as being the worst defenseman on the team when his analytics have him as being the second best defenseman behind Quinn Hughes. So if you want to use that evaluation tool and talk about the analytics, you can't at the same time say he's the worst defenseman on the team because by those numbers, he's been the second best defenseman. Now, that bar as a second best defenseman on the team has been an average bar because Quinn Hughes has been so much better than everybody else. Edler has struggled to some degree. Uh, he's a bit slower. He's been playing through injuries as well. I think there's something there to him. Oscar Fantaber has been great. Jordy Ben's really struggled. And people love Troy Stetcher. We all love Troy Stetcher. I, mean, I have a lot of time for Troy Stetcher. Troy Stetcher, if you start breaking down the numbers, has not been playing all that well this season for the Canucks. I know the plus minus says one thing, but if you break down the scoring chances against, shots against, uh, how the game is being developed around him it hasn't been positive so when you look at tyler myers as flawed as he might be and yes he is not a top pairing defenseman everything indicates he's been a very valuable player for this canucks team and without him on the ice outside of quinn hughes being out there and playing the canucks have actually fared a lot worse without tyler myers well like like a lot of things that center around data and information um, I, I do find that analytics, like some people fall into this trap of sort of having a narrative and then they're, they cherry pick the, the information to sort of support it and then mm-hmm. ignore the rest. And sometimes that's what, the, what people do and it's, it's not the way to go about it. Like I, I almost, you look at it, you have to come at it from all different directions. You can, and, and it's this age old debate of eye tests versus, versus the analytics. And again, it has to all be used together. And you have to understand a more holistic approach. You have to you have to use each set of information, whatever it is, to support something else, and and then almost poke holes in it rather than say, "Oh, this proves my argument." Now I'm done. I don't yeah. need to look at the rest of this chart because now I've I've proved my point. There's there's so much information, and I think people that really are are into that data driven analysis are looking at it from you know how do we get more? How do we get more information? Mm-hmm. And and continue to drill down and continue to poke holes in this because this isn't working or, or it's, I don't, I'm not satisfied that it just sort of proves my initial thoughts. So that's my first point on that. And, and I agree that anytime though a, a player has, gets the contract that Tyler Myers got, you're, you're against it, especially mm-hmm. in Canada. Like you're, people are out to see you fail because people are also out to see the GM who gave you the contract fail. They, right. they want to, they're, they're again, playing into a sort of premeditated narrative that, Oh, this guy doesn't know how to how to sign free agents, or you know, the pro scouting's bad, or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you're kind of up against it. So as soon as you have a tough stretch or you have a bad game, then all of a sudden, oh, see, showed you. But at the same time, he he's a guy who's who's proving valuable. Um, the conversation about whether 
he'll be valuable in the end of his contract. I mean, that's a whole nother right. debate. But he's and that's a fair yeah, thing. But like if you're he, evaluating him in the moment, in the let's now, be fair in the here and now. I, I think he's been pretty good. He hasn't been perfect. Yeah. No, there are flaws in his game, but he's he's been better. I believe, than a lot of people give him credit for. I completely agree with that. And something that we've talked a lot about throughout the season, and I keep citing all these things, and I read a great article on Canucks Army. It's worth reading. Stephen Roger wrote about uh, the breakdowns analytically for Tyler Myers and essentially saying what we've been saying. So when it comes to Tyler Myers, as much as people like to harp on him and he's an easy target, you know, if he misses time for the Canucks, you will feel his absence. Like, he yeah. is not a player that people... I don't think... I think people think that, hey, he may not play. Put Jordy Ben in. We'll be better. No, that's not a true thing. Well, as much as the Canucks have more depth on the back end, they don't have that much depth, right? Right. Like you're looking at Ben and Fantenberg being considered interchangeable and depending on the week, who Travis Green wants to have in and who's playing better. So to say all of a sudden he's going to replace Tyler Myers. I I also think what ends up happening too is you have like this weird dynamic when guys, guys end up being slotted outside of their pay grade then they almost get believed that like people believe they're worse than they are, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. because he's because he's written down on paper as a third pairing right shot D man, well that's in a way that like is that real or is that the way they want to address the balance mm-hmm. of their of their decor because Stetcher plays with with Edler, right? Like it, yeah. it's part of it isn't like you're third pairing because you're the fifth or sixth worst defenseman. It's third pair because this is what works other places and this is what works here and in, in where you're playing and who your partner is. So oftentimes that that skews things as well so sometimes it's just the way the way people write it down on paper all of a sudden tweaks people's sort of interest on it or it 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 sort of hits a nerve and that oh he's making this much money he's a third pair like what a bust and then all of a sudden the set of standards changes yeah and i do find it interesting because i think something that hasn't been talked about a lot is tanov has been healthy and that's huge because he's still a player that helps you out but he's been okay. You know, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been the Tanev we're used to seeing at his prime, and perhaps that's kind of changing a bit. He's playing with Quinn Houston as a pairing. They've been fine. But at times, I mean, Tanev isn't making the same impact he's made defensively as in the past, and it's partly with how the Canucks play. On the PK, for instance, he is health, but not to the same degree he has in the past. Edler has struggled to some degree, and I know I think he's still dealing with something. I think he's been banged up a couple different times. He's missed some time as well, but he's not the same fleet defenseman he once was. So it's interesting to me that the guy who takes a lot of the criticism is actually the guy that hasn't been as big a problem as others may have been through certain spells this year. Well, I agree, and and I, I agree with you on Edler and, and Tanev as well. I, I, what's the other thing that's different is that the bar has been raised. Yes. Right? Like, you see what a legitimate you, well, top-pair like, defenseman is. You yeah. were looking at Tanev as where he slots on the right. defense a year or two years ago. It's completely different than now, even if Tanev plays the exact same. Mm-hmm. And, and even if Tanev didn't age. You know, like, I know that's impossible, but if you took yes. the exact same body of work and you put it against Quinn Hughes now, I mean, that's that's a lot different than putting yeah. it up against Derek Pouliot. And the Canucks are taking more chances as a team. The way they're playing yeah. is a lot more aggressive. And part of that is they're trying to build an identity of how to play as a team beyond just this season. Uh, so, you know, sticking to the game plan, come hell or high water has been a big part of things. But here's where things get a bit interesting. The goalie injuries and also the struggles of Thatcher Demko in his last couple of starts. And all the uh, goaltending is your area of expertise. So we're going to delve into the goaltending situation and how the Canucks defensively have actually been better. When it comes to narratives, the whole narrative of the Canucks are being exposed because Jacob Markstrom was covering up flaws. 
may not be as true as you think. We'll explain right here on the Canucks pod on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks pod. Satyar Shaw with Alex Ald and Aldi as a former National Hockey League goaltender. The goalie position, it's you also, it is a very difficult one. Tough, tough and you stuff. also coach the position as well. So who better? I even gave up on that. Did you? It's so difficult. Yeah, I know. No, I really no. rarely coach goalies anymore. Just well, young, just, just young youngins. youngins. Just youngins. I know you're so busy nowadays too, though, with, with uh, the burgeoning business of Melanie Ald as well. Actually, wearing a wearing a sample chain today. Are you? Some unisex men's stuff coming out. Ooh, nice. Check, check it. Check yeah. it out. Check it out. Make sure to get Melanie that plug Melanie Alt.com. Shameless. Yeah. yeah. Get it in. Go check it um, out. But when it comes to goaltending, of oh yeah, course. Yeah, goaltending, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is still injured. Uh, the positive news and, you know, who knows when it comes where, to injuries. Where's the positive? Where's yeah. the positive? Where are you? The positive is he had a procedure, of course, oh, this happened okay. last week and uh, he will be reevaluated I think, a week's time at this point. And hopefully he's still able to return before the season ends. But Thatcher Demko has gotten a lot of criticism. And let's be honest, he hasn't been great, especially in those two starts, uh, the last two starts he had. Not great in Ottawa, not great in Toronto against the Leafs. The question is, is his play fixable in the short term? Yeah, yeah. we've seen him play at a higher level than this. So you never want to judge any athlete, especially a goalie over such a small sample size. You have to look at it a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. Obviously, though, the Canucks need and they're in a situation where they don't like they need these wins, right? You need these games, and it and it's difficult when you've seen sort of this lead and this this buffer that they've had in the standings totally evaporate. And it's quite easy to point at, at the goaltending and Thatcher Demko in, in particular to say, "Hey, like it's is his fault." And but you you made it like he hasn't been great. Well, is is that what we expect? Of a guy like how many career games does he have? Like this was you, his, his last start was his thirtieth yeah, career. So start. we're expecting greatness every night out of that. Like <laughs> right. that's you know like they're not in a is he in an unfair position? No, like I, I think he did earn sort of the respect and the uh, the opportunity that like the way he's played so far in his career earned the opportunity to not have a more veteran presence traded for at the deadline like that i get the decision to do that it's not a it's not a unfair position it's a tough position it's a tough one for sure and and he still can he still can get them in the playoffs and do his job and still have some tough nights that's mm-hmm. part of it too right how he responds so wednesday at home against arizona massive game that'll be that'll be really big obviously um so how he responds in that one and and going forward like i think it's it's important to see but in terms of is it fixable I believe it is because I don't see him playing the exact same way. Like I, I, I feel like he's trying to do a little bit too much right now, just a little bit over amped up and like, and that's again, natural. So learning how to handle the starting goalie going down when you're a backup in the NHL and now you've got to shoulder the load. That's a learned response as well. That like how to manage that, how to manage the expectations, how to manage the workload, how to manage your practice and, manage the games and the mindset of going, you know, back to back or whatever it may be. Those are all things you need to learn and you need to manage through that growth process. Well, it's something that you can speak to as well, because back in 05, 06 for the Vancouver Canucks, Dan Clucci gets injured, tears up his knee and you get thrust into being the starting goalie for this Canucks team. And, you know, there's a big playoff push towards the end of the season as well. A lot of things were going on that year, huge injuries to the blue line. And, 
kind of looks a little similar in the moment right now to what's going on with the Canucks, but yep. hopefully not as drastic and long term for all the injuries on the on the on the uh, back end back in 0506. But speak to the mentality change of going from being a young back up to all of a sudden you're the guy, and here is a stretch run. Get into the playoffs, son. I I uh, I still remember early on that season. We're on the road down in Southern California, and I feel like I I just played back-to-backs, Anaheim, L.A., or mm. not back-to-back nights, but we're on the trip down in California. And I, I feel like I played the first game of the trip in L.A., and the way it had been going, I was playing every, I don't know, four or five games or right. whatever it was. And I played, it was, a, it was a good game, whether we won or not. I mean, I was selfish, so I probably didn't care. I just, I gave up one or fewer. Like, I was like, like we, I lost, we lost 2-1, but that's fine. I was I play great, well, whatever. Yeah. No, but <laughs> in all seriousness, like, I, I, and we had a day off. And I remember, like, uh, I don't remember I told you about we had like the gang of... Uh, have I told you this story before? Uh, you have told me this story, but I'm not sure our listeners have heard okay. it. So please explain it. So I'm, I'm, you know, we're out for dinner and I just, <laughs> I remember turning to to Wade Brookbank and I'm like, oh, this is easy, man. Like this, this NHL stuff's awesome. Like I'm, a, like, I'm, on, vac- I'm on vacation in California yeah, I'm now. Chilling. Yeah, the next Making night. Making money the next and night, chilling. The next night, Kluge stores. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the next night in Anaheim, and I had I had three nights off the rest of the year. NHL <laughs> <laughs> went from being really easy cruel, to really difficult. It's a cruel league. Yeah. No, but so what was the question? No, the hey, mentality it's, shift. It's, yeah. It is. It's uh, and I've talked about this before. Hundred percent, our listeners have heard this. But tune in, folks. It's <laughs> it's an adjustment to go from being a guy who's playing once every couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and you get all that extra work with the goalie coach, and you're you're a shooting target some days. Some days it's focused right on you because it's more goalie specific work. It's difficult to then all of a sudden be like, okay, now you got to play every game, and every game matters. And by the way, uh, you got a bunch of crazy fans and and crazy media, and they're going to hang on every like everything you say or do is good or bad, and everything has its polls and all this stuff like right. it. It's intense and it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to wrap your head around. So again, that's, it's learning how you, how you process all of this. It's very much more than just the in-game. It's between the games, how you manage your rest. And there's a lot that goes into it. So what I want to see from Thatcher Demko is, is just a calmer game. Like he needs to just settle down. And, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, someone cares too much. Right. It's kind of that weird oxymoron in a way, right? Like it's like you you would think that was a good thing. You don't want someone who doesn't care at all, but it's like you still got to play your game. It's still just sticks and pucks. The rink's the same size, mm-hmm. and it's it's a thing you've got to manage as you go up levels, and all of a sudden there's more fans. Well, the game's still the same. It's just faster, and like you just kind of have to get back to what's simplistic about it, and that be your approach, and not get caught up in. Oh, we need this many wins out of this many games. Like you can't think too far ahead. You got to control your own sort of domain and just own that. It's the classic trying to do too much, and young players fall into this yeah. a lot, right? And, yeah. and sometimes these things are cliches, but they're cliches because this is the real truth of young players and development. Not every player is wired perfectly right away. There's very few players. Like we talk about Quinn Hughes, he's wired the right way. Very few players are at that level. We talked about Bo Horvat earlier this season when he had the weight of being the new captain of the team. Defensively, he really struggled because you could tell he was trying to do his job and also his winger's job and also his defenseman's job, and that puts you in no man's land half the time, and it exposes you. And once you kind of get back to doing what you can control, things start to clarify. That's what happened with Bo Horvat. And I do think, based on what you've said on Thatcher Demko, is it fair to say that he just got way too amped up and put way too much on himself the past few games and kind of got away from the fundamentals that he's been working on with Ian Clark? 
It could be. Like, and again, this is, I don't know. Right. Like, I'm not, you, you don't know because you're not inside his head. You don't know what he's thinking. And, and part of it is you could be wired the exact right way, but because it's a dynamic game with a bunch of other people on the ice and like, Quinn Hughes could do everything perfect. Thatcher Demko could do everything perfect, but there's a bunch of other bozos out there yeah. screwing up. Like that, that and hockey's could, such a random sport, it's right? Random, yeah. and that's that's why I hate the the knee jerk reaction on small sample size yeah. because it you have if someone's doing the right thing most of the time, most of the time they have results. But if you just catch them on the one off night when it doesn't work out, you can't just judge them as being awful mm-hmm. and being bad. And that's why scouts watch players that they're going to draft high and like you know really high rated players a lot. To really get to know them, right? They don't just go see a kid once and like, yeah, first overall, this one. That's my guy. Yeah. No, At least no, you shouldn't. Right. No, you shouldn't go that far. But, exactly. no, but the, the reality is that it's, you, you can't react too soon. Um, there's a lot, a lot there. But is it fair to say that that's a possibility? Yes. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, it's, it's natural. It's normal. It's kind of where Thatcher Demko should be. Yeah, we'd love to see him just jump in and never break stride and, and rattle off 20 straight shutouts. That'd be cool. But it's well, not going to happen. No, and, and, and the thing is, they don't need him to play as well as Markstrom was. They just need him to give them a chance at this point. And why I say that is, if you look at, again, it's a small sample, but it's something that I've seen the Canucks improve on, defending in their own zone, and especially against the Leafs. And as hard as that game was a stomach for Canucks fans, because Demko let in a few goals that, you know, were just did not look great, you know? And we should break down those goals in a second here, but just the overall arching pouring that I think the Canucks have actually played well defensively the last couple of games. They've eliminated a lot of the high danger chances against. And if they can continue that over, they don't need Demko to play at his best. They just need him to give him a chance. Don't let in a couple of bad goals and you will win games. And also don't make stupid decisions as a team the final eight minutes and fall apart. You don't do those things, you win those games. We're not talking about a massive degree of difficulty for the goaltending position. But when it comes to the goals that Thatcher Demko gave up, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it was interesting listening to Stephen Valaket, who joined the morning show, the starting lineup earlier this week, and talked about how susceptible Demko is to shots where screens are prevalent. If I was looking at Demko and I'm playing him tonight, um, I probably wouldn't think that my bumper guy or my slot one-timer would be something I'd be looking for on the power play or at five-on-five because he's really good on that shot. He's faced 27 of those this year. Uh, He's given up one goal. But on screens, he's a little susceptible on screens. He's had 36 screens this year. He's given up 11 goals. That's four more than league average. So that would bring me to the video. I'd go to my video, and I could tell you, I was looking at this this morning. I was looking at the uh, Goche goal, the first goal uh, versus Toronto. And you, you can see that what Demko does is he gets really wide, really low, loses his posture, tries to see it and gets behind the screen of, of his own player, Phantomberg, and he can't see it, and he gets beat on it. And he looks like that on all types of screens, layered screens, offensive screens, flash screens. You know, we look at these in different ways and measure them differently. But there's also team concept involved there. So if I was looking at Vancouver and saying, okay, well, the goalie's not great on screens, but that doesn't mean much if Vancouver doesn't give up a lot of screens. Well, they do. Uh, and they give up a lot of deflections. They're 30th in the league at giving up deflections. They're 29th in the league at giving up broken plays. We saw that in the third period against Columbus last night. What does that mean? I love hearing the information, right? Like I, because, and I love the way he kind of breaks it down. He's like, 
so I see this jump off right. the chart. Now I go to the video and, and probably would be the opposite. I notice something on video. Now I go to the chart. I go to the information. I go to the data. What is it telling us? Look, there's, and this is another reason why I think that this is fixable because as, as, as Valley points out, it, a lot of it is about screens. Deflections play into that, but what, what does Thatcher Demko do? What's his default when he loses tr- his sight lines on the puck and he, he goes to find it. Well, one of the one thing you can really work on is well, where do you go to find it? You know, what's your what's your path? What do you what do you do when you're lost? Right? Do you, mm-hmm. Like you're a kid, do you just sit there? Do you run around and make yourself more lost? Do you do something that's going to hurt you or help you? Right? right. And and as a goalie, you got to kind of think that as well. You got to think that way. You're like, all right, how do I go get the puck? Do I go look for the puck in a way that then takes me out of my balance and takes me out of my set position and, and good posture? Or do I do it in a way that at least keeps me as close to my home base and being grounded as possible? And so there's a, there's a couple factors that come into play. The, the one thing I'm a little bit worried about is how quickly can you learn that mm-hmm. and how quickly can you work on that? And has, uh, well, I'm sure, I'm sure Ian Clark realizes that, but at the same time, you don't want it to be such a focus that it becomes this sort of mental block in a way. Like you've got to balance all of these things out as you're sort of implementing them into a goalie's game. But working in traffic, learning how to fight through traffic, learning how to how to pick up the sight line on the puck, and one of the things that is there's a real skill, and and part of it is just the experience of this is happening, this is likely to happen, sort of you know just that deductive reasoning. But a real skill is projecting the puck forward. Mm-hmm. So the the puck leaves the blade, and then it comes to let's say my glove, right, or the the plane of my body wherever I am in the crease. If there's a screen and I lose sight of it along the way, am I able to stay dialed in in the moment that I can essentially, based on the track of that puck, project it forward even though I've lost sight of it and mm-hmm. know where it would, where likely it would end up? That's something that's difficult. Guys learn that at different sort of speeds and, and timing and all of those things. But that's something that, that can really help something like that. But to me, again, it's what's the simplest approach? Well, find a better place to look for the puck so that you maintain your posture. When you mentioned that about um, just kind of like it takes me to the video meeting, all right? Because you got to sell this. If you're a coach, you got to market this to the players. You got to say, "Hey, we're playing well, guys, but you can't throw your goalie under the bus, mm-hmm. right? You got to spread the blame around enough." Right. So I'm sure the guys taking penalties and dumb plays late in Columbus are. Getting, don't do that. Yeah. But you all, but you also got to realize, like, you got a goalie who the whole team, the whole city is shitting on right, right. now. Like, yeah, that's the, the reality. Truth. I mean, yeah. you don't want to pile on. But you want the guys to have confidence that you want the guys to have confidence that they are playing the right way and this is going to work. So it's like that, that's such a delicate balance because I've been in those meetings where it's like we're doing everything right, guys, and the coach doesn't say it, but essentially points at you. He's like, "But this guy's letting you down," and you're like, "Well, thanks, all right, just uh, I'll be better." The checks are still clearing every two weeks, coach. So thank you, but it's you know that that's a tough dynamic to work through as well. So um, you're right; I, they're playing better. They're they're and you, we they don't need Thatcher Demko to be all world. They need Thatcher Demko to play like Thatcher Demko has in his career, and that to me is why this is attainable. He doesn't have to be spectacular. The team has cleaned it up, but also what r- the risk is. We've talked about this a lot before, Sap. If you don't get results, mm-hmm. and you and you as a team, you're like, okay, we're going above and beyond here for this kid. We're we're going above and beyond. We're clamping down defensively a little bit. We realize that we're playing better, but still not enough. How long does that last, right? And, and, and if, if Thatcher comes out and has an unreal game the next couple of games and, and it's, all right, perfect. This is our recipe. But you know how it is. You're, you're making something. You don't like the way it tastes. You're going to tweak it. If the right. recipe doesn't work, you're going to change it. You're going to switch it up a little bit. And sometimes some people are better at kind of cooking off the, 
off recipe and, and all of a sudden some you, people it turns into a bit of a disaster. Yeah, you add a little too too much cayenne pepper, next thing yeah. you know, you just can't Oof, have it. You don't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want but, that. But, you, you know, I do think it's interesting because based on how they've played, they are on this streak now, a slide is more like it. Four wins, seven losses, and two overtime losses in their last 13 games. But based on how the last two games went, I think they're so close. And this is, you know, assuming you have Myers and Hughes healthy and ready to go against the Arizona Coyotes, that you're taking a couple of cruel, tough losses right before you start reeling off a few wins again, where you start to get bounces go your way. But if that doesn't happen next game or the game afterwards, then it may not happen. And that's the fear. Because I see the game developing right for the Canucks. I look at the team game, and I think it's disingenuous to say that Thatcher Demko um, isn't living up to Markstrom's ability because the environment in front of him is really bad. Because if you look at the environment in front of him over the four games, it's actually been a lot better than the typical environment that Jacob Markstrom has been exposed to for the majority of the season. So if you look at it, these four games, Canucks have lost three of them, and and he did not play uh, against the um, Columbus Blue Jackets. Thatcher, Thatcher Demko didn't. But overall, the goalies were not exposed to the same degree of difficulty that Markstrom was. So it's not fair to say they're being exposed because their system's not good enough and is letting down um, their goalies. It's the reverse that's actually happening in this short sample right now. But I do think they're on the verge of winning as long as they get a couple of saves here. Well, you're right. And and so the, the one thing... Uh like, I think that's a great point because a lot of people are, that's easy to say, well, we're really learning how great Markstrom was. Yeah. It's true. And part of it is the flip side of how Jacob Markstrom, like, there's a lot of phenomenal saves, exceptional play, but he's also eliminated the weak goals. And so that's that's sort of the opposite baseline of this. It's like, you just need a sort of a baseline of some good, solid NHL goaltending and you're going to get you're gonna get some wins here. I'm not saying they're going to run the table, but they're going to get enough to get them into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like the team has clamped down defensively. They're they're playing with more structure, and that's why I think it's so important they get some results. Because if you don't, you're right. You, you may not get them. And then, as much as I just said, hey, don't don't judge on too small a sample size. Well, we're getting into crunch time where sample size gets thrown out the window, just mm-hmm. like it does in the playoffs. And we that's why you'll see upsets in the playoffs because it's like it's 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 a race to four wins. Yeah, like. Sample size be damned. It's, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's about bounces. It's about a bit of luck. And it's about just that overall just pushing it across the line. And when you're in down into your final 15 games of the season, getting into 10 games, save here or there, pressure, external factors, that's when it can really throw things off. So as much as I, I like, don't snap judgment here and just say, oh, he's bad because of two games, You, this is why players earn their name at this time of year because it's when things are the most difficult mm-hmm. and it's when the pressure mounts and it's when players can really either get it done or they don't. And so it's there's a lot of things when it comes to the goaltending with the Canucks, but it's it's Thatcher Demko's team right now and he's got to find a way to just settle down and, and make the saves he should make. And look, I had Randy Carlisle as a coach in Manitoba, didn't always see eye to eye, um, actually didn't play me in the playoffs. But the one thing that reminds me, or it stuck with me playing for him, and this is the way he was, he was hard on goalies in a way, but also very fair in not putting too much pressure on you because his whole thing was, I don't need you to win us games every night. Just give us a chance. Mm-hmm. Just give us a chance and you've done your job. And if that's your mindset going into a game, game over game over game, with the firepower the Canucks do have and the way that they score in bunches, that should be enough to, to get it done. It should be. And it goes back to the messaging you mentioned too, that you're you're not trying to throw the goalie under the bus. And if you look at the screen goals that went against them and you heard the Valakit uh, clip and you broke it down really well, Alex, can there be a, a learning tool of telling 
uh, the forwards and the defensemen to defend those screens any better, or is it a bit random? Well, look, it's it's one of those things where, and we we talked about this a lot in the last couple of years when it comes to guys like Edler and his propensity to want to play goal, mm. right? Like it's you you got to respect this guy eating pucks and and hanging in there, but at the same time, if you're not going to block it, you got to get out of the way. Yeah. It's, there's a balance, right? And and it it could. There's a reality, though, that some teams and some goalies, the system and the style really mesh, and some don't. Um, so just rather than don't give up screenshots, just just either get out of the way or how about don't give up shots? You want your goaltending yeah. to be good? Don't give up shots. <laughs> hey, that's an easy yeah, thing to do, that's, isn't it? That's the new game plan, Travis. Listen here. Don't allow any shots on goal. If you allow a shot on goal, you have failed. Man, is that fair? It'd be tough. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a tough. tough spot to There's be two in. teams out there, Sat. Both are on uh, trying to win. I yeah, think so. Uh, yeah. Before we get out, I did want to spend a couple minutes on Elias Patterson because it goes to something you also mentioned. You get into that stretch to drive of the season. This is the hardest part of the year. And Patterson's been under the microscope because last year in the, in the, in the final third, you saw him you know, trail off a little bit. And I do think that he was better in Ottawa than he got credit for. And he could have easily had a couple goals in Montreal. And if he had a couple points in those games, we wouldn't be here talking about how he just emerged all of a sudden against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But he looked peak Pedersen against the Columbus Blue Jackets. When he plays at that game, you're talking about a difference maker. We talk so much about JT Miller. We talk about Quinn Hughes and the goaltending. It's kind of funny that the guy who's been ranking fourth nowadays in the importance to the club category has been Elias Pedersen. But I wouldn't be surprised at all Aldi, that what we saw against Columbus is something we'll see a lot more down the stretch here, and he's really going to emerge and show how valuable he is to this team. Well, we started off this this episode talking about Quinn Hughes and his defiance, and defiance is Pedersen's middle name. Like, mm-hmm. this guy loves the stare down, loves just proving people wrong. Like, it, it fuels him, right? So you're right about that. And you look around at the race in the Pacific. You look at the race in the Western Conference – there's a couple of big horses really stepping up and you look at what's going on in Edmonton and you look at the way Dreisaitl stepped up his game since the McDavid injury and like he's, he's playing lights out. And so that isn't, that's again, that's an evolution of a young player. Some guys do it really young in their career. Some guys need a couple years. Pedersen is driven in a way that it would not surprise me at all. You're right. It, mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if he just is the guy who steps up and is like, Hey, look, let's go, let's do this. And, when you saw what he did in his last SHL season in Sweden, the way he just sort of like carried that team through the playoffs and, you know, he was phenomenal. That wouldn't surprise me if he finds a way to push this across the line. It wouldn't surprise me either. And I think we're seeing his game take that next step all season long. We've seen it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him really take off here. Cause I do think a lot of the stuff about how he's struggled the last seven games, seven, eight games ahead of the game against Columbus was a bit overstated. I do think he's still dealing with something at this point in the season, pretty much every player is playing through some sort of injury. Know, whether you're a goal stiff back. Yeah. You got a stiff back yeah. from, uh, from watching this team so much. I mean, Quinn Hughes, I'm, I'm surprised his back isn't uh, hurt because he's been carrying that entire blue line all year long. Right. But what, hey, what are you saying? What's that? Saying you got some info on it. No, no, I don't think it's a back. back. No, no, it's not. I don't think it's it's a back injury. I don't think it's a lower body injury. I don't know specifics. I just don't think it's a back injury. But when it comes, not a lower body, not a back. Okay, it eliminates a few different things. Right, pinky. (laughs) Potentially, it could very well be the pinky injury. Can you just cut it off and play? I don't know. I'm not a doctor, man. (laughs) Uh, On Patterson, I just think we're going to see him really take off here, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. And as far as uh, pinkies go, you're not a doctor. Have you noticed the trend of uh, doctors on Twitter diagnosing injuries um, by watching clips? I hate Twitter. 
it's it can be a pretty dark place sometimes. I, I mean, yeah. I found that amusing. I've seen that a lot. And hey, I'm not. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from doctors, but I've, I noticed there was. I think there was somebody who uh, diagnosed Brock Besser with a separated shoulder, and it turns out he had a rib injury. I'm just saying, like, be very careful when it comes to Twitter doctors. I mean, because being a doctor is hard enough. Well, being a Twitter doctor is even harder. Thanks, tips. Like, <laughs> of course. Yeah, there's been some stuff floating around. That a I trade see. deadline time. Make sure it's a verified account. Like, all right. But there's like there are actually verified amateur hour over here. But no, but I've seen actual doctors try to diagnose things through Did Twitter. You say they're actually verified. No, they're because verified. Is that, is that what Twitter is doing now? They're putting blue check marks on doctors. Yeah, they're like you okay. are doctors uh, Doctor, without verification. Doctor Nick <laughs> Riviera. Hey, everybody. <laughs> It's a separated shoulder. <laughs> it could very well be. Who knows? But Aldi, uh, it's been a very informative Canucks pod. Satyar Shah with Alex Ald, and we're kind of running up against the time. But, you know, 17 games left. And one thing we talked about with um, Andrew Walker on the program earlier this week was, do you think the Canucks will make the playoffs? Put your name on it. I still think the Canucks make the playoffs. I see a lot of people losing faith in what's happening. I still think they get in. What do you think right now? Yes. I say they make it. And uh, I also think it's this is an interesting, interesting episode of the Canucks pod because I mentioned how the fans and the the media were shitting on Demko, <laughs> and you mentioned streaks. Wait, what? <laughs> I think that's a pretty good way of uh, ending this week's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, uh, and give us a shout out on on Apple Podcasts. Listen to any of your favorite podcatchers. Also, Sportsnet.ca. Thanks for listening right here on Sports in the Six. Change your shorts. Hey, how's life on the chain gang? Hey? At least you don't have to clean up after three killer whales for a month. Three months. Three killer whales one month. We'll talk about it later.